Hi, this is Tom Salami of Device Talks. Welcome to the Intuitive Talks podcast. Surgical Robotics presents an enormous opportunity for companies. There are surgeon shortages, sporadic healthcare, and miraculous technological advancement in both robotics and communications. So to understand where this sector is headed, we invited senior executives from Intuitive to share their company's impressive story. Change is coming. Consider these upcoming episodes to be guideposts for the future to follow. Hi, everyone. This is Tom Salemi. Welcome back to the Intuitive Talks podcast. This episode is brought to you by Biomerics. In this episode, I'll speak with John Conta. John is Vice President of Product Management, and he's specifically in charge of DaVinci SP, DaVinci's single port system. So DaVinci, the DaVinci system, of course, the DaVinci, original DaVinci system required multiple ports. DaVinci SP is able to enter the body through a single port and create the triangulation of instruments inside the body. And John will talk about how that's done. Now the company is working to build the market in the U.S. for DaVinci SP. It has uh, seen some success outside the U.S., and it wants to duplicate the success inside the U.S. Jonathan will talk a bit again about the product development and about the market creation. So it was a great, great talk. Jonathan has held a number of roles at Intuitive. We'll talk a bit about his career, but uh, more importantly, we'll understand where DaVinci SP is headed. But before we begin this episode of Intuitive Talks, I'd like to bring in a message from our sponsor, Biomerics. I'm speaking with Brian Curtis. Brian is Executive Vice President of Research and Development at Biomerics. Brian, tell us about Biomerics and how do you work with medical device companies? Biomerics is a vertically integrated contract manufacturer in the interventional medical device market. Our goal is to be a strategic partner for other medical device companies, enabling their product development and process development of medical device products. We have centers of excellence and sites throughout the U.S., as well as in Costa Rica and Ireland. Those centers of excellence include engineers and technology development expertise in several component and sub-assembly categories, such as materials, extrusion, molding, balloons, micrometals, advanced catheters, including steerables, and then image-guided interventional devices. Biomeric strategy in includes developing a world-class infrastructure and technology centers of excellence focused on supporting our customers developing some of the world's very best medical device products. Thanks, Brian. We'll hear more about Biomerics a little later in the podcast. If you'd like more information right now, you can go to biomerics.com. That's B-I-O. M-E-R-I-C-S dot com. Well, John Conta, welcome to the podcast. Um, thank you so much. Pleasure to uh, be here. Great to have you. And uh, as always, I want to start these conversations off, finding out a little bit about our guest and, uh, and their path into MedTech and, and over to Intuitive. What was your first, uh, the first thing that interests you about uh, the medtech industry and why did you join? Sure. I think um, for me, it's really a family thing. Both my parents are in uh, various forms of the industry side of healthcare. Uh, oh. My mom was a microbiologist. 
I worked for Abbott, worked for Regeneron and whatnot. Um, and my father has been in devices his entire career. He did a lot of hips and knees. Um, and then later in his career, moved into startups and interventional pulmonology and structural hearts. So, so I've been kind of nerding out on the med tech space since <laughs> I was probably in sixth grade, I guess. <laughs> there was no rebellious streak in you that wanted you to, to go in some other, I don't know, dot com pursuit. <laughs> I did. I did pursue that. I kicked around a few careers in my earlier twenties, uh, <laughs> back in internet 1.0, and then I realized that that frankly, I, I missed the healthcare side of stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I did. A, I did a biomedical engineering undergrad. Uh, my first job out of college was doing orthopedic research at the artist formerly known as Beth Israel. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and I missed that side of it and, and kind of being able to impact patient lives. And so I, uh, I came back to it uh, and I've been here ever since. Well, that's fantastic. So now the part two of the question is, how did you find your way uh, over to Intuitive? You were at CR Bard before that, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So post doing my MBA, uh, I was invited to be kind of the guinea pig of a general management rotation program that uh, CR Bard was setting up. Spent my first couple of years up in New Jersey doing corporate development, kind of looking at M&A and white space places to make investment. Uh, and I then rotated down to the uh, Bard Urological Division, which was down in Atlanta, uh, doing uh, women's health. And uh, spent a couple of years there, actually started doing some uh, training of physicians in concert with Intuitive. Bard was providing the implant. Intuitive, obviously, providing the Da Vinci, got to meet the Intuitive team at that point, and kind of was recruited away. and And it was not an easy sell for me, mm-hmm. uh, as I mentioned. I grew up on the East Coast. My wife grew up on the East Coast, so this was going to be displanting our uh, two year old daughter and six month pregnant wife all the way to the other coast. Mm. Uh, which, let me tell you, that didn't go over so well with the in laws at the time. <laughs> but nonetheless, not. yeah, definitely not. But I did enough homework on Intuitive to realize that. This is a company that's that's certainly transforming uh, the way healthcare is delivered in the surgery space. And I'm probably going to have one opportunity to be a part of something like that in my career. And this was it. And even then, I thought it was going to be probably uh, you know a four-year stint and then back to the East Coast, given that that's where our families were from. Um, and here I am nearly 14 years later and have never left. That's terrific. I want to talk about the single port uh, robotics in a bit, but yes. uh, in your early days in Intuitive, uh, you were involved with, uh, with well, you had many different roles. I saw that you were early on sort of in helping to build, you were involved in helping to build Intuitive's story, finding unique ways to get the product out there. I read something in your, your bio about an episode of Grey's Anatomy. What were those earlier days like? What were, you, what were the headwinds that you were sort of up against and what helped you win people over? Yeah. To your point, Tom, I've been very fortunate to have been here, as I said, nearly 14 years and have had five different careers just here at Intuitive without mm-hmm. ever having to leave. And that's one of the things I love about this place. But I did begin in, in, the, in the women's health space. And at, at the time that I joined, uh, we were really kind of ramping in the men's health, the urology space. And we were just starting to get our feet wet in the women's health space. And a lot of the things that we had to overcome were, you know, frankly, the, the women's health space does not have the same reimbursement. That the mm. men's health space does, and and you know, Intuitive was a bit of a poster child at that point for you know applying too much cost, too much technology to a problem that may not need it, and so that was kind of some of the stuff that we had to overcome. The Gray's Anatomy thing that you mentioned was kind of a serendipitous little connection that I had with one of my cousins who happens to work in the entertainment world, um, <laughs> and and they approached us and said, "Hey, we'd love to have the Da Vinci on the show," and and we made it happen. I'm actually an extra in the uh, in the in the season finale of season I think three it is. So that was definitely a fun experience. But we really found our footing in the oncologic world of women's health, where you've got a very concentrated group of very technically uh, adept surgeons 
who had, had been doing these procedures predominantly open, almost exclusively open. And, and just as we, we saw in urology, da Vinci gave them an opportunity to move things to minimally invasive that they were having trouble doing before. And it just took off as a result in that space. And that's where it found a lot of early success. And then that success in the oncologic space kind of started to bleed over into the benign space from there. And that's, uh, but we had a lot of, lot of, lot of headwinds, uh, again, a lot on the reimbursement side. And, and as far as moving uh, taking j- several jobs within a single company. That obviously is not uncommon in the, in the metal device industry, but I'm just curious, what was sort of your litmus test for deciding when it was appropriate to take a, a next step and to take on a, a new role? What were you looking for with each sort of change? Sure. I've been the product of two different types of moves. I will take a quick break from this interview with John Conta to bring back our sponsor, Biomerics. Once again, I am speaking with Brian Curtis. Brian is Executive Vice President of Research and Development at Biomerics. Brian, I understand you've seen some real growth and opportunity in two areas in particular, single-use endoscopy and surgical robotics. Can you tell us how Biomerics operates in these two spaces? At Biomerics, we have developed our technology centers of excellence for that very purpose, supporting single-use endoscopy and robotic surgical markets. This includes uh, the recent formation of our image-guided intervention division. With this division, we can provide full-service components, sub-assemblies, and finished devices in each of these markets. For example, our Micrometals Center of Excellence provides components and sub-assemblies in the robotics market. We have complex steerable shafts, as well as advanced extrusions and molded components supporting single-use endoscopy. We see the technologies improving to a point where they are comparable with reusable endoscopes, as well as cost-effective to support the single-use benefits. In the image-guided interventional space, we see a continuing trend and movement toward robotic surgery and are excited for that movement. Biomerics can provide the imaging guidance and interventional energies connected with these surgeries. And finally, Brian, how is Biomerics adapting to succeed in the future? We're seeing a lot of changes, that's for sure. At Biomerics, we are adapting to the changes in the metal device industry constantly. We see need for increasing vertical integration. You see by some of our acquisitions and mergers, we continue to vertically integrate. We see the need for continued expansion as our partners uh, rely on the benefit of having a contract manufacturer with increasing capacity. We're expanding in almost every facility, including recent expansions in Ireland and Costa Rica, as well as expansions that are ongoing across almost all of our U.S. facilities. We are scaling up in almost every facility to meet the growing customer demands of contract manufacturing and strategic partnerships. Well, thanks, Brian Curtis, for joining us on the Intuitive Talks podcast, and thank you to Biomerics for sponsoring. Once again, if you'd like more information about Biomerics, you can go to biomerics.com. I'm just curious, what was sort of your litmus test for deciding when it was appropriate to take a a next step and to take on a, a new role? What were you looking for with each sort of change? Sure. I've been the product of two different types of moves, some that I have sort of initiated and pursued and others that were either handed to me or I was voluntold that this will be my next (laughs) opportunity. (laughs) But all of them, I I had a fantastic leader 
who gave me either, like I said, an opportunity or an assignment, which they knew would grow me. And that's, uh, again, one of the reasons that I stay is that this is a wonderful place to build a career and, and to bounce around into a couple of different areas and gain exposure and gain experience and gain breadth uh, to what you're doing. Admittedly, Tom, it's been, it's been some of both. But I think for me, I, I'm a naturally curious person. I'm also a bit with a short attention span, so I probably can only really work on a problem for a few years before I just get distracted with something else. Um, and again, Intuitive has provided uh, multiple opportunities for me in my career to be able to pursue that, whatever that fixation is next. I, I heard every word you said, but I'm, I'm sitting here wondering how I've never heard the term voluntold before. The, <laughs> I, I absolutely love that. And uh, <laughs> and I will be using it shortly, probably this Very evening. <laughs> but uh, let's uh, let's talk a bit about where you are. You're now vice president of sure. product management at Intuitive. What is, what is that role? What are you overseeing? I'm overseeing our SP or our single port platform. As vice president of product management, I've got a fantastic team uh, that I work with um, really defining user needs. What is it that our surgeons are trying to use this platform to do? Um, and how can we impart solutions, i.e. products, that help them do that job better in service of bringing incremental clinical value to the patient? And so it's really, it's, it's needs discovery, it's iteration, working with my counterparts on the development team to figure out uh, solution, potential solutions to those needs, and then making sure that what we, what we can then build it, that we can make it economically viable. And then again, that it's meeting the user need, that it's solving the right problem. Just making technology for technology's sake is not going to get this done. And, and so we really focus very much on understanding, deeply defining, characterizing those user needs so that when we iterate on solutions, we know when we've solved the problem. Can you expand a bit on, on the process of identifying those user needs? What does that look like? Are you in a room watching surgeons? Uh, obviously, you are at some point. But is it is it merely just watching surgeons perform? Is it engaging with them directly? What does that process look like? It's a huge part of exactly what you said, Tom. It, it's being in the OR. I'm a mm -hmm. firm believer in uh, NAHITO, which is an acronym that stands for Nothing Interesting Happens in the Office. I want to be in the OR. I want to be next to the surgeon sitting there watching what they're doing. And there are moments when you've got to sort of uh, step up and say, hey, hey, doc, I've seen you do that same motion three times in a row right now. What are you trying to do that the system is not enabling you to do? What is the end goal of what you're trying to do with that motion? And then understand and dig, dive deep, ask the second and third order questions to really understand what it is they're trying to do. Surgeons will often come to us and say, can you make this two centimeters longer, please, or something along those lines? And doing just following blindly that path would be a fool's errand. The better question is, again, what problem are you trying to solve? Why are you asking for it to be longer? Because maybe two inches, two centimeters longer, excuse me, is not really the best answer. Maybe you need an entirely different device to get done what you're trying to get done. And so, so those are the kind of questions. And again, it's, it's being in the OR. It's going to scientific meetings and seeing the publications and seeing where they talk about results, where they talk about limitations, those kind of things and saying, what energy can we apply to this problem uh, to overcome this? I'll also be stealing Nahito, by the way. I like that one a lot as well. <laughs> You're a fountain of good terms. How do you bring the uh, the designers and the engineers and, and the technical folks sort of into this conversation? Because again, it, you're right. It, it, all the all the action is is out there. You're not able just to study anatomy or models or things like that. You need to really work with the users on this. Yes. We have multiple different groups, and I'll differentiate between our product development group and our clinical development group. The clinical development group, we call them CDEs or clinical development engineers. Brilliant group of people who not only have incredible technical knowledge of the system, 
but many of them are, are, are trained MDs. They have incredible anatomical knowledge as well. We have a bunch of ORs sitting here in our building that, that we will do cadaver models, we'll do sheep models, we'll do various things that will, again, mimic what we're trying to do. We'll bring in surgeons, we'll have all those teams there saying, all right, try this prototype. All right, now let's swap that out and try this prototype. And really iterating through as they have described a problem to us, now we've got a bunch of different potential solutions for you. Let's see where the limitations are. Every solution has got if you gain something somewhere, you're probably giving something else up over here. Where's the balance of those things? And so we do tons and tons of those labs to make sure we're learning you know, as best we can in the sort of in vivo environment. That's great. I love the fact, and it's something that I had noticed, but hadn't really realized until you said that, how many surgeons that Intuitive seems to have working on design. Most other companies, you'll still have doctors in the CMO role, still looking up the capacity. I think they still see themselves and often some of them still do practice medicine, they're clinicians. This is a different role. What's it like to, to bring surgeons into the design function or element of a medical device company? What's that transfer like? It's We, we have a whole group of, of medical officers, which you just described a lot of their function. They, the, almost all of them, I think all of them still maintain a, a clinical practice, mm-hmm. um, but they spend you know, somewhere between one and three days a week here with us as, as full-time employer or part-time employees. They bring such depth and such tangibility to what we sit there on whiteboards or in PowerPoints talking about, they do, and they've experienced, and they've seen, many of them have have seen hundreds or thousands of cases where you're dealing with aberrant anatomy, or you're dealing with, you know, those kind of corner cases that we want to make sure that we're accounting for here. And so the depth that and the richness they bring to the feedback is unparalleled. They're, mm-hmm. they're an incredibly important part of our design and, and iterative process. Um, and I, I honestly, at this point, I can't imagine doing these kind of things without them. Well, let's focus on on single port robotics. Give us a bit of the history of the system, when it was sort of conceived and when it became available. And, and I want to just sort of understand how it's viewed in terms of iterations from the first Da Vinci system. Uh, is sure. this seen sort of as the next generation as sort of an, a logical leap? But we can get into that later. How did yeah. how did the, the conception all kind of come, how did it all come together? Sounds good. Yeah, bunch to unpack there. Let's. Yeah, let's sorry about that. <laughs> no, 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 no problem. I would like to hit on all those points uh, when when we get to them. So the, the project began. It's now measured in decades. There's no question. In fact, it's, it's it's approaching two decades that the project was kicked off, which admittedly predates my own time here at Intuitive. But here's what we knew: we knew that Multiport was ramping and was finding success. But the one thing that it really doesn't do well is making those arms work right next to each other, very close to one another, right? They tend to clash either inside the patient's body or outside the patient's body when they try and work along the same plane, if you will, or right kind of next to each other. Mm -hmm. So we thought about that. And this is obviously something you run into uh, in, in many surgeries, some much more than others. But we said, is there a way that we can solve this problem? Think about this problem a little differently. And so, so the idea then became, what if we took all three, or in this case, four operative arms, you know, three arms plus a camera, and deliberately put them right next to each other, force them to work along this same axis, this same plane, and then figure out how to solve the problems of that interference with one another through technical means. And so it's a much more complicated problem to solve on some levels than is multiport robotics. Multiport, in a lot of ways, you know, mimics laparoscopy in terms of where you're putting the ports and whatnot. And so the problem we try and solve here is, is called triangulation. Triangulation is you can only do safe surgery if you formed a triangle between your eyes, 
your left hand and your right hand. And you have to have some separation between those two points of the triangle to be able to do safe surgery. It's like trying to tie your shoes with your arm completely out extended and your eyes sitting right behind your arm. You can't see anything, right? They have to have some space from one another in order to be able to work safely. Multiport robotics and laparoscopy achieve that triangulation outside the body by placing the ports, you know, centimeters away from each other. With SP, we have to achieve that triangulation inside the body. And that necessitated adding a second set of joints, an elbow joint to the robot so that as it goes, enters the patient, you then extend out the arms, the elbows come out, create that triangulation inside the patient, and then it's able to do the work. So that's kind of the concept here. And it's, it's a very, very difficult technical problem to solve. Adding the elbows adds a whole different user interface type problems. How do you get to where you need to go? A whole bunch of problems that the team had to spend time solving. Solving them in general is problem is, is sort of level one. Solving them in an economically feasible way is level two. And then that took an extra few years to get this down to something that, that, that was actually tenable in the marketplace in terms of uh, cost and price. And so that was where the next thing. And so the, the product made its way to the market in the fourth quarter of 2018 here in the U.S., shortly thereafter in South Korea, in the U.S. with some very limited clearances and with Korea with some very broad clearances. Was the need, the genesis of the, of the demand for this, were there surgeons saying we need to use single port, hospitals saying we need single port? What was, what was really, or was it just your own sort of internal sense that this was, this was the direction you needed to go with, with the system? The concept of single incision surgery has been around for a while. Um, The SILS concept or single incision laparoscopic surgery uh, certainly predates SP. And so it's always been kind of a dream to to either do things through a single incision or through a natural orifice and, and make no incisions, right? And then that's, you know, we're always trying to do better by the patient. And oftentimes that is a, is fewer incisions. And so the market and our surgeons were very clear that they saw some value there, but the technologically and the feasibility of it was certainly very difficult. So we said, all right, can we apply technology here? Can we apply our know-how in robotics to help make this concept viable and democratized uh, in the market such that, 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 that everyone can do it without enormous amounts of practice and struggle and whatnot in order to be able to, to make it happen. And so that's really the genesis of the, of, of the idea is the idea of single incision surgery or natural or for surgery is certainly not Hours, nor is it unique to robotics by any stretch of the imagination. It's, it's applying robotics to this problem to, to make it available for a broader number of surgeons and, and broader procedure group is, is really the goal. And what has the market adoption been for this? What was the response you're getting from, from surgeons and from hospitals as this came out? And was it different from, uh, how was it different? I imagine it had to be different from uh, sort of the rollout of your first system. Yeah, it's been quite different. So, so You asked a question before, which I think now is the appropriate time to touch on, is that SP is in no way, shape, or form designed to be or intended to be a replacement for multi-port robotics, Mm -hmm. XI, X, whatever it is. It is a different machine for different applications. So, And I think that's, frankly, a common misperception is that the market thinks, oh, well, we're just reducing the number of surgeries. That's the next best way to do things. Well, in some cases, maybe that is the case. And in others, it's certainly not. Your question about adoption and sort of how it was received I'd say, to be honest, Tom, right now, it's very much a tale of two geographies. Here in the United States, SP has only two clearances at the moment, one for urology, which, again, is already really dominated by robotics. Um, and the second is in, is in head and neck surgery, what we call transoral robotic surgery or TORS, which is a, a fantastic patient value, but a pretty limited small market. I will contrast that 
with South Korea, where we were given very broad clearances right out of the gates, including urology and TORS, which I just spoke about, as well as gynecology, general surgery, uh, shortly thereafter, thoracic surgery and whatnot. And so what you're seeing in Korea is sort of this perfect storm of a couple of things. Number one, you've got those broad clearances. So there's lots of things that that surgeons can do on label that we as a company can help them with. Mm -hmm. Uh, Second, you've got a surgeon group who's extremely talented laparoscopically, much more so median surgeon, if you will, uh, than in the US. And so they look at the difference between what they're doing laparoscopically and what they could do with multiport robotics. And they say, well, there's not a huge difference there. Uh, But with SP, there, there is a potentially big difference. And third, you've got a social situation where they put a huge premium on cosmesis, on the ability to hide scars or move scars uh, away from a visible location. And SP does that brilliantly. And so the combination of those three things sees a huge market success in Korea. In fact, they're using their SPs more than their Da Vinci XIs in Korea. Much bigger success story over there than it is in the U.S. for those three factors, the biggest of which is, again, those broad clearances, which they have there we don't have in the U.S. Interesting. So how do you address that in the, in the U.S.? How are you working toward uh, broadening the approval so this can be used, uh, used in other procedures? Yeah. Uh, so we first have to, of course, figure out where, where does it make sense to do so? Where do we think that SP can, again, bring unique clinical value uh, to, for, to patients? So, so right now we're pursuing an IDE or an investigational device exemption for, uh, to get a clearance in colon and rectal surgery. Uh, We are also pursuing one uh, in thoracic surgery. So those are kind of our next two uh, planes on the runway, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, But we think there's a lot of places beyond that where we think this could go. My job is to to get the best tools into our surgeons' hands that we possibly can and let them do what they do best, which is figure out where this brings value. And then we will help fast follow that uh, with more energy, more research, more technology to help them do that even better. And how does that identification work? You're worried, when you say our surgeons, you mean your customer surgeons who are using the system? Are you working with them to sort of identify the, the next steps, the where to goes? That's the predominant group, yes. We will have surgeons who come to us and say, I'm not a customer of yours right now for whatever reason. Maybe I'm in a specialty uh, that you're not currently cleared in, but hey, I'm interested in doing this. Can we check that out? And between them and that group I mentioned before, the clinical development engineers, Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of cadaver labs get done. And Tom, I'd be honest with you when I say, I think that roughly a third of the procedures that we do right now with our multi-port system were brought to us by surgeons Hmm. with an idea saying, hey, I I think this could bring value over here. Uh, so so it's, it, we've got a very well-documented past of this kind of activity happening, and, and, and it's something that we are very well set up to continue doing and to, and to speed up, frankly. And what are some of the additional functionalities that you're hoping to add to the system? If you can sort of look forward as to, to where you're going, you can broaden the use for it, but what other features would you like to bring online with the single port system? We've got two things. We've just recently brought a broad set of instrument upgrades that have been in the pipeline for a little bit to market now for SP. They've helped make these the surgeries more efficient, more surgeon-friendly. The instruments are stronger. They, uh, they have better grip. They have better range of motion, things like that. But really, uh, to your question, we're, we're trying to move SP towards matching what we have on XI in terms of instrument breadth and instrument capability. That's a process. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, adding this extra set of joints of elbows and shrinking everything down. Uh, remember, our XI instruments are eight millimeters in diameter. SPs are six millimeters in diameter. Hmm. And so that you know, 25% reduction in available diameter makes engineering problems that much harder to get those cables down and around a second set of corners 
when you've got elbows. Uh, so, so there's significant design challenges here. You can't just sort of take the end effector of an XI instrument and slap it onto SP and you know, two months later, you're ready to go. There's significant development efforts that, that need to be done here. And we're very much working through those right now. And final question, how else do you continue to build enthusiasm for this platform? I saw a video that you, you did, I think it was fairly recent, where you had, uh, you were amongst the, the, the people interviewed, there was a surgeon who was talked to as well. You talked about the challenge of latency, which I thought, I thought it was a very, very well done video. You talked about the Firefly element, which I thought was fascinating. Is Firefly something that's available in the original DaVinci as well? Is that something that's available only with, with SI? Because uh, it looked like a, a game-changing visualization technology. It is. It's a very cool technology that was first brought on the SI platform, okay. um, and now it made its way over to XI. You know, I think very shortly thereafter. So it's been something our surgeons have been enjoying the benefits of for, for years on the multiport side, and just recently made its way to the SP side of things. Um, but I think that's that's a theme, Tom, that that we're going to try and do a lot of iterating on, which is if you've got a computer between the surgeon and the patient. How can we take advantage of that? How can we show the surgeon things that naked eye can't see? How can we bring new visualization technologies to enact a step change in safety for the patient, showing the creating no-fly zones, uh, lighting up the ureters, uh, whatever it happens to be that again can bring that incremental clinical benefit to the patient by having that computer in between them and the surgeon. Fantastic. Well, it was a real pleasure to have you. Thanks for uh, for sharing your story and uh, an SP story and uh, look forward to talking to you again in the future. Tom, thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate the opportunity. And that is a wrap. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Intuitive Talks. Thanks, John Conter, for sharing your thoughts and expertise. And thanks, of course, to Biomerics for sponsoring once again, you can go to biomerics.com for more information about biomerics. You can find me on social media. I am on Twitter at MedTechTom. I am on LinkedIn. I am on Instagram at MedTechTom. I'm everywhere. So please connect with me out there in social media land. And please share this episode of the Intuitive Talks podcast. And when you do, tag me. I'd love to be part of any future conversations. Finally, don't forget to subscribe to the Device Talks podcast network. When you do, you'll receive future episodes of the Intuitive Talks podcast, future episodes of the Striker Talks podcast, future episodes of our flagship Device Talks weekly podcast, and uh, we might have some more podcasts coming. So uh, don't, uh, don't delay. Just like, follow, or subscribe on your podcast application so you don't miss a future episode. Well, that's it. Thanks again for joining us on this episode of the Intuitive Talks podcast. Tune in next time. We'll have another great episode waiting for you.